It was great. You would love it. He would love it. Wouldn't he love it? You would love it. You. You know how your friends single you out? You. Wouldn't he? Did you like it? I didn't care for myself. But you. Sucks and great are the only two ratings people even give to anything anymore. Hey, let's go see that new movie. I heard it's great. Really? I heard it sucked. How could it suck? It's supposed to be great. I heard the beginning is great. And then after that, it sucks. Oh, that sucks. I know. It could have been great. I say to you that sucks are great are the exact same thing. You have an ice cream cone, you're walking down the street, the ice cream falls off the top of the cone, hits the pavement, sucks. What do you say? Great. Hey, this is Paul Stanley, and this is Gene Simmons from KISS, and you're listening to the sweet and sultry Stephen Michael in Funny Hollywood Pooty on the Growing Up Rock Podcast. Turn it up. You owe me 20 bucks. I cannot wait 
We have put together a ridiculous, awesome show. It is the greatest episode that we have ever recorded. It took us 170 plus episodes to get to where I can honestly say this is absolutely the greatest episode that Growing Up Rock has ever done. I mean, we've interviewed Dave Manichetti and Eric Martin and all these fantastic artists, but it all brought us to this point where it's the greatest episode ever. So now you're going to piss off every listener we got because it's the greatest hits. So you created clickbait with this stupid title that you put on this episode now. And now everybody's going to be pissed at us because it's the greatest hits episode. It's not the greatest episode ever. What? Huh. Well, damn. Color me surprised. You think people actually <laughs> fell for that and clicked on it? If you did, just stop listening now. <laughs> he tricked you. This is absolutely not the greatest episode we have ever recorded. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. We didn't even plan this episode. I just called Sonny up on a win and said, hey, you want to do a show? And he said, yeah. And we both said, well, what are we going to do? And I said, I don't know, greatest hits. So honestly, we haven't done any planning for this hunk of shit at all. Enjoy. See how fast that was? It went from the greatest ever <laughs> to what you're about to hear is complete shit. So please turn it off. Thanks. <laughs> the absolute worst episode Grown Up Rock has ever done. <laughs> He is kidding. Don't turn your radio dial. Are you not amused? You will be amused. We'll keep you entertained. Stick with us. Don't turn the dial. Don't turn it off. Don't get rid of your download. Hit the subscribe button. It'll be worth your time. We're talking all about the greatest hits tonight. It's time for the Crank It Up New Music Spotlight. So tonight's Crank It Up New Music Spotlight comes to us from Josh Ramos, who essentially is the guitar player in Hard Lines, right? There's no S. It's Hard Line. Hard Line. <laughs> I like to put an S on stuff just to keep it plural. There's hard bodies, but there's only one hard line. Really? Yes. So when is it a good idea to put S's behind stuff then? Uh, nowhere. That must be a South thing. I have no idea. All right. Well, Josh Ramo has an S after his name. So Josh Ramos is a guitar player and he's had a history with Hardline, The Storm, and he put together a solo album. The album is called My Many Sides and he invited a bunch of different singers to come along, kind of like our friend Slash did at one point in time. And we are going to play a song that features John Bishop. Oh boy, that is not even close to correct. John's last name is pronounced Bisaha. Repeat after me Bisaha. Bisaha. There you go. 95% of the world mispronounces John's name so Stephen, we will let you slide on this one. From the babies on vocals and the song is called Moving On. <laughs> Left to hide, caught you in the act I should 
I'm surprised you like that song. Doesn't that drag for you a little bit? No, I think it's got a good groove. It works all right for me. I like John's vocals on it. And he's got some other great singers on this record as well with Tony Harnell and Terry Alou and Danny Vaughn, Tony Mills, Eric Martin is on a ballad on this record as well. Yeah, I like the song. Uh, That's all Frontiers guys, right? Is that why? You know, that makes the most sense because yes, they are all Frontiers guys. So I'm sure that that is the connection there. Okay. No, I like the album. It came out, I think about a month and a half ago. So it's a pretty good album. It's called My Many Sides. And it's available on Spotify, so it's pretty good. Check it out. Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. So getting to our main topic, what we talked about was, we haven't really talked about greatest hits albums a lot, and there's tons of them out there. And I would say with Spotify playlists now, the need for greatest hits albums probably is dying. But in the 80s, 90s, and the early 2000s, they were absolutely necessary. And even in some cases nowadays where the music may not be readily available on Spotify because of contractual issues or whatever, sometimes the greatest hits brings about these songs that you can't get anywhere on streaming unless you kind of listen to the greatest hits that's on Spotify. Personally, for me, I would have never been exposed to some of these bands if it wasn't for the greatest hits collection that I got in the late 80s or the early 90s or the 2000s. Because by that time, now you're talking about, you know, if you get into, we'll take an example, Rolling Stones in the late 80s. Well, they got so much material. What are you going to do? Go buy every album and CD just to give them a chance? And back in the day, there is no streaming. There's no iTunes. You can't just go listen to one song. And yeah, you could probably go to the nearest record store and put on now their COVID-ridden headphones that 1,500 other people used before you got there to listen to the new CD they spun. But the problem is that doesn't have any of the old songs on it. So you really don't know anything about the Rolling Stones. So then you go get a Greatest Hits and it gives you a, depending on how good the Greatest Hits is, gives you an idea of their total history and kind of gives you an idea of can you get into these guys or not. So that's why Greatest Hits were important to me. We decided to pick some rock and some hard rock and metal. So we don't always get to talk about, let's say, the John Cougar Mellencamps or the Genesis or some of those bands because, yeah, they're guitar driven to a point, but they have a lot of pop elements. So they usually get lost in the shuffle a little bit. We wanted to bring those in too. So we got a pretty good variety of uh, 10 albums, 11 albums technically, to uh, talk you through What's your experience with Greatest Hits albums? Yeah, growing up for me, Greatest Hits albums were essential because to your point, if you were 16 years old coming in and trying to discover bands like Led Zeppelin and The Who and The Rolling Stones, well, those classic rock bands already had a ridiculous amount of catalog. It wasn't like you were coming in on the ground floor for the first Metallica album or the first or second Van Halen record. If that was the case, it's easy. You come in on, let's say, the second Van Halen record. If you really dig it, you go and you pick up the first record, and then you're getting everything that comes out afterwards because you're a completist. With The Stones and The Who and Zeppelin, they had so many records out already, I had to look into trying to get greatest hits packages 
And that's exactly what I did. And as I got older and branched out and wasn't just into hard rock and metal, then it was really perfect for me to pick up a greatest hits on an artist that I wasn't as familiar with, say like a Tom Petty or the Eagles or something like that. And that's my experience with greatest hits packages. Yeah, and I can imagine for the record companies, so you got a band, 70s, they release five or six albums that kind of die off as the new wave of British heavy metals coming in, hair metal comes in, they kind of die off. Now you release the greatest hits in the late 80s, i.e. The Doors, let's say, and I think theirs was even later than that. You release it maybe because there's a movie coming out, maybe you release it before the movie coming out. You got a whole new generation of folks that will listen to those songs. That's how I got in the doors. I don't own any of those doors albums from the seventies and sixties. I have the greatest hits. Then I bought the greatest hits live because they had a live one. Right. So I think for the completists, they had to have everything so the record companies win. For the generation gap, you're offering something up to the generation that's near and dear to your heart now. And well, you make money off the doors again, even though they're kind of dead in the music world because they're not doing anything new. So I think the record companies kind of won either way. And I think for the artists, and correct me if I'm wrong here because you would know better, I think there was folks that were putting out Greatest Assist albums just to get out of their record contracts too. Isn't that right? That is correct, yeah. Oftentimes, if a band was signed for, let's say, five-record deal and there were four records into their deal, they would deliver a fifth album that was a greatest hits package or a live album to complete their contract. Yeah, and then every once in a while, they gave you new songs, right? So they bring in the next generation and expose them to the stuff that was already out there, plus a few new. And the folks that were waiting for the next Doors album, let's say, they get to have something new because they've never heard it. So it just seems like a win-win. The problem now is... There's nobody buying physical products, so there's no reason to do any of this. No, and they still put them out. But yeah, you're exactly right. With Spotify and the streaming services, you can essentially make up your own greatest hits that'll probably be better than anything else because it'll be tailor-made to what you like versus what the record label is saying are the greatest hits or the band is saying are the greatest hits, you know? Yeah, I got you. So we picked 10 total, Stephen picked five, I picked five, and let's get started. So the first one we're going to talk about is the Rolling Stones Gurr three CD set from 2012. There was a 40 track version, an 80 track version, a 50 track version. It went gold, got to number 19 on the Billboard 200. Most of the albums released before this are represented. Obviously the newest one wasn't because it came out after this release. And then there was two new songs on it, one called Doom and Gloom and one called One More Shot. Now, when I read these song titles, I realize I really don't know the Stones that well because I don't have a clue of what The Last Time or Ruby Tuesday or Wild Horses or Waiting on a Friend or Love is Strong or Fool to Cry. I don't know what any of those songs are. So you must be a huge Rolling Stones fan. Wow. You're scaring me. You probably do know some of those songs. There's no way you don't know Wild Horses. Uh, You're killing me. But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) and Ruby Tuesday, that's another one. So the Rolling Stones are a good example. They're a lot like uh, The Who, where I like a ton of Stones, but I don't like enough of the Stones to go out and purchase every album. I just don't. 
especially with a band like the Rolling Stones that started really, really early on, you know, in the 60s, they're going to have a lot of stuff that I'm just like, meh, from a recording standpoint and from a material standpoint. I can only listen to so much of that stuff. So when I saw this CD, this three CD set, I picked it up because, man, it had a ton of great stuff on it. It had all the stuff that, as a casual Stones fan, I would want. And then it went kind of the extra mile and got some stuff on there that I would consider, you know, a little bit deeper tracks for the Stones, at least. I mean, they've got so much known material. but And then I like the added songs, like the new song, Doom and Gloom. That's a great tune. That's a really killer tune. We played that on the show before because it's rocking. It's the perfect package for a casual Stones fan, and I love it. Yeah, when I look at the first disc, it starts with... Come on, not fade away. It's all over now. Little Red Rooster last time. Never heard of any of those five songs. Those are older tunes. But then you get to disc two, and it's Jumping Jack Flash, Honkly Tonk Woman, Simply for the Devil. You can't always get what you want. Give me shelter. Street Fighting Man. Like, okay, I know those songs. Yeah. But then you get to disc three, She Was Hot, Streets of Love, Mixed Emotions, High Wire. Never heard of those. There must have been like a snippet of time where Rolling Stones was the hottest thing on the planet. And those are all the songs that maybe I know. I don't know. Well, here's the deal. So these CDs pretty much go in order of their career, meaning that the first CD is a lot of the earlier stuff. The second CD is a lot of the famous stuff like Jumpin' Jack, Flash, Sympathy for the Devil, Give Me Shelter, Street Fight Man, all that stuff. And then the third CD is kind of their era where Beast of Burden, Emotional Rescue, Harlem Shuffle, that was all MTV era shit. So Waiting on a Friend, huge MTV video. So that was a lot of their, I'll call it the MTV years. And then some of the stuff that you name that you don't know is off of like their uh, later stuff like Steel Wheels and some of that stuff. And then, of course, you got a couple of uh, new tunes on there with Doom and Gloom and One More Shot. Okay, so my first pick was Brian Adams' So Far So Good, released in 1993. So here's a artist where the only thing I own is this and Reckless, and that's it. And Brian Adams has tons of albums. But reality is I'm an MTV kid, and I wanted to hear the MTV songs. And the 14 songs that are on this disc are the ones you heard on MTV. Summer 69, Only Love, This Time, Heaven, Cuts Like a Knife, all those things. Please Forgive Me was on this album as a bonus track. I absolutely love that song. It got to number six on the Billboard 200. Here were the top five where, when it stalled. Number five was Diary of a Mad Band by Jodeshi. I've never heard a song off of there. The One Thing by Michael Bolton. I'm sure I've heard at least one song. Verses by Pearl Jam. I'll just leave that at that. Doggy Style by Snoop Doggy Dog. I'd rather hear that than Pearl Jam. And number one was Music Box by Mariah Carey. So most likely it didn't have a shot in 93 to really get to number one. This, I would say, is one of the best greatest hits releases ever. 
Uh, it basically went number one in every other country except for the U.S. You know this one? I do. I actually have that one, and I have another one that he released that's really good called Anthology. And I'm the same along the same lines as you. There's a handful of songs that I like a lot, but I don't love all of his stuff. So I don't own any one record of his. I just have bits and pieces, but Anthology and So Far So Good is uh, the majority of it. And Brian Adams is one of those guys. Sometimes it's rock, sometimes it's not. There's always guitar, but sometimes it's not that much in the mix. I think what we can say about Brian Adams is that he's a hell of a songwriter. He's written for a lot of people, including some of our hard rock buddies.
Our third pick by Steven actually was Triumph Greatest Hits Remix 2010. Now I will tell you the minute I hear remixed, I just think of Strutter 78 and I start crying because sometimes they really ruin the original. I've honestly never heard any of these remixed tracks. I only know about half of the songs anyway, because I'm not that much of a Triumph fanatic. Everything I've heard, I've liked. I have Rick Emmett's uh, solo album, absolutely. Really like that one, but that really wasn't like Triumph anyway. This release has 14 CD tracks, and then it's got a DVD that's got 14 videos on it, basically. The album cover would make a great t-shirt. So you got to go check out the album cover for 2010 Triumph Greatest Hits Remix. It's like this kind of Robart graphic art, red eagle drawing. It's really, really cool. Would make a great shirt. You know, I know Lay It On The Line, Follow Your Heart, Magic Power, and Fight The Good Fight. I don't think I know any of these other songs. Is that Love Hurts? Is that the Nazareth Love Hurts? No. So this Greatest Hits Remix, no, they didn't screw up any of the songs. They just fattened them up, which is good uh, because (laughs) some of the earlier recordings they weren't necessarily the best recordings when the album came out, but this greatest hits remixed sounds a little bit more modern and keeps all the integrity of the original songs. So songs like allied forces. And then like you said, lay it on the line and follow your heart, magic power, hold on just one night, fight the good fight, spellbound, never surrender. When the lights go down, there are some great, rock and roll on this record and it sounds fantastic and the biggest thing about this triumph record and why i wanted to put that out there is because triumph is another band that has a lot of cds or a lot of albums i should say and some of their later stuff is hit or miss in fact a lot of their albums are hit or miss for me meaning that there's usually it's 50 maybe 75 percent of it i like and always like 25 percent that is kind of like meh to me between all those albums i have a great variety of stuff that i like and so i own this greatest hits remixed i also own stages with a lot of great music on it and it's great live double album so that's what i have from triumph i'm pretty sure i own the album never surrender as well because that was an mtv era record and a lot of it was really good so yeah triumph is a great band to pick up a greatest hits and this is a good one to pick up yeah i think the greatest hits i have by triumph must have been released in the mid 80s There was one early on that got released Mm -hmm. because I have something that's a greatest hits by them, but it's not this one. So I got to check this one out. Yeah, I think you might actually enjoy this record. The next selection was mine, and it's the Essential Ozzy Osbourne released in 2003 as a two-disc release. And then in 2009, it got released as a three-disc release. So of the 11 solo albums, seven are represented on the 2003 edition. There's about 30 songs, about two and a half hours. There's no songs from Ultimate Sin because that album sucks. But when they re-released it in in 2009, they added two Ultimate Sin songs. They added the Ultimate Sin and Lightning Strikes, which those are the barely listenable ones. I'm assuming you disagree. Oh my God. How do you hate that record that bad? I mean, Lightning Strikes and Ultimate Sin are two awesome tunes. Do you not like Shot in the Dark either? Meh. And Killer of Giants, I think, is an awesome tune. That's not even meh. That's just bad. There's some good stuff on there. I mean, to me, it's head and shoulders above Bark at the Moon in terms of 
Jake's work. I like it a lot better and I like Bark at the Moon. Bark at the Moon is one where there's like two songs that are listenable. The rest of it is like meh. And so that to me, that's Bark at the Moon. But Ultimate Sin, I liked a lot more. For Ozzy, though, I pretty much own everything. This was a two times platinum release. It got to number 81 on the Billboard 200. And it's got, you know, pretty much everything you would want to hear. It's like a crazy train, bark at the moon over the mountain, no more tears, Perry Mason. I mean, it got all the things that you would pretty much want to hear. There's some deeper tracks that are missing from some of the albums, but you know, you can't also put out a 90 song greatest hits because that's basically putting out a box set. So, Hey, I figured it out. I know why you don't like the ultimate sin. It took me a minute. You don't like the ultimate sin because you got Ozzy with frosted tips barefoot on stage with shiny spandex on, and that's a nightmare for anybody. I put up with neon green and Jean wearing lipstick and looking like B. Arthur. So obviously I didn't have a problem with that. <laughs> that lightning strikes video, Ozzy barefoot on stage with uh, frosted tips and uh, shiny uh, spandex. Nobody needs to see that. <laughs> do you have this central Ozzy Osbourne? I do not. I'm kind of a completist. So I won't say that I own every Ozzy record, but I do have basically the first, I don't know, six or seven CDs in full. So I got the all the Randy CDs. I've got both the Jake CDs, even though I hate freaking um, Bark at the Moon. And then I've got probably the first few Zach CDs as well. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. Okay, so our next selection is Stephen's selection, and it's called Billy Squire, Reach for the Sky, the Anthology 1996. This is really not available anywhere. There's a bunch of Billy Squire stuff out there. This one has 34 songs on it, though, and it spans his career from Piper all the way through his 1993 release. And it has all the hits you would assume that you would want in the dark, lonely as the night, the stroke, all of those are on here. I don't really know Billy Squire that well. Seems like the last 20 years or so he's been around, but almost underground a little bit. Like you see that everything says current and who's in his band and blah, blah, blah. But I don't ever hear anywhere that Billy Squire's playing Come See It. So any idea what Billy Squire is doing? And you're still a big fan, I'm assuming. Yeah, I like Billy Squire a lot. I mean, essentially, Billy Squire lives off his catalog. He made so much money from rap artists paying him. He's the most sampled rock artist, I think, in history. So that's one thing. He still does music. He just doesn't play out or anything. I don't think he really likes the spotlight at all. I heard an interview that he did with Eddie Trunk maybe five years ago. He's a great rock artist. I mean, he's a good songwriter and he's put out a lot of material, but some of it is hit or miss for me. I would say that it's way more hit than it is miss. This anthology is something that I picked up because it had such a great variety over all of his records. I still own, like I went out and picked up the remastered 40th anniversary of In the Dark because that's such a great album from start to finish. So I have that anyway. But Emotions in Motion had some good stuff on it. And some of the 
records that came a little bit later, Reach for the Sky and, and so on, things like that. Those all had some great material. But if you're not that familiar with Squire and all you know is in the dark and the stroke, then I would encourage you to pick up this anthology, this two-disc set, because there's a lot of stuff on here that you're going to like. The people listening to our show are going to dig for sure. Yeah, I feel bad for Billy Squire because you know how there's sometimes there's shit in the universe that like just never dies off. And so today I taped it probably about a couple of weeks ago, but A&E has this biography called I Want My MTV. Mm -hmm. So great biography. It was about two hours, definitely worth the watch, especially if you're in that late 40s, early 50s age group. You're going to kind of relive what MTV was going through, and they take it kind of from start to where it is today, really. Uh, but they spend a huge chunk of time from 81 to about mid-90s. And even there, that subject comes up. Some videos can make you, some can break you. And here comes Billy Squire with his pink shirt on. Yeah. And I'm just like, guys, can you let this die? The poor guy, is he should just be wearing a pink shirt the rest of his life. I think that's probably in part why he just doesn't want to do it anymore. It's not a money thing. He could certainly go out there, but he's probably just really sick of hearing about all that shit. They don't let it die. And, you know, it's just like, okay, well, whatever. He's so much more than that song. If you're limiting yourself to that video and that song, you're missing out on a lot of kick-ass rock and roll, period, end of story.
So let's take a break here and talk about the Loud Minority page. Um, it's been getting a lot more traction lately. Yeah, we have a good time there. I mean, it's just all about sharing stuff. And I've been making it a point to go there and share some new music videos that record labels are sending me and trying to get people just to let me know, do you like it or do you not like it? And then we've also been sharing a lot of the episode talk that we do, whether it's a top 10 list or getting ideas for upcoming episodes, things like that, especially when we do song rankings and stuff like that. It's a great private Facebook group. It's free to join. You just come over and join the group. And that way you you can kind of talk amongst other rock fans. And I know a lot of people are looking for safe groups to go to where there's no political bullshit. There's no like crap talk. Basically, we keep our group positive and all about entertainment. So whether it's movies or music or TV or whatever it is, but mostly ends up being about music for the most part. So come over to the Grown Up Rock Loud Minority Facebook group and join up. You can also invite some of your friends if you got other rock and roll friends that maybe don't listen to the podcast or whatever. It's a good idea. So that's it. Yeah, about the only time we get, I won't even say negative, it's sarcastic, is somebody will post, hey, ACDC released new vinyl. It's bright yellow and it's coming pre-order in the next two weeks. Did you get yours? And then usually I comment something like, does it have better songs on it? Or (laughs) does it have new songs on it? No, no, no. Same old songs. I'm like, don't I already have all those songs? Like, okay, whatever, dude. You're horrible. (laughs) (laughs) I know. But, you know, if it was Striper, I'd be all over it because I got to have everything Striper. So I get it. I just have a fun time with it sometimes. No Striper greatest hits for you. (laughs) Yeah. So our next selection was actually by me, and it's called The Complete John Waite, Volume 1, Falling Backwards, 1996. So there's 17 songs, a combo of his solo album, Bad English and The Babies. Four solo albums are represented, both Bad English albums. Yes, there's two. If you only think there's one Bad English album, there's a second one called Backlash. It sold 11 copies. That's why you don't know it. And then there's some stuff represented from the first four baby albums. Obviously, I own all the bad English stuff. I have all of his solo stuff, and I have a little bit of the baby stuff. I'm actually a pretty big John Waite fan. Surprises a lot of people because he's like one of those talk singers that sometimes I don't always get into. But the guy does have 10 solo studio albums. He's out there playing like little clubs, casinos, that kind of thing. There was a song called If Anybody Had a Heart that was on the About Last Night soundtrack. That also made it on this. But anything that you would know by John Wade is on this release. Downtown, How Would I Get By Without You, Missing You, Change, Head First. You know, those kinds of songs are amongst the 17 that are on here. You're a John Wade fan? I know you like the babies. Are you a John Wade guy? So I'm a huge babies fan. And about the only John Wade I'm really familiar with is Change and Missing You. And that's pretty much it. So I don't know a lot about John Waite. This might be the perfect type thing for me is to look into a greatest tits of his. Yeah, he's got some good stuff. Uh, you know, it's some of it, um, it's not all rock. Let's put it that way. 
some of it kind of touches a little bit of like a Philly soul type of sound. Mm -hmm. And then some of it has kind of a blues feel to it. So this is why I think he was never as big solo until he hit the charts with something that was pop oriented. But then he didn't always do those pop songs. So it was a little bit harder to stick with. But what you hear him doing in bad English, that's really more Neil Sean than it is John Waite, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It makes it all that much more interesting to me because really, John Waite kind of owes most of his success to the babies. Now, he did have hits with Missing You and Changes. Oh, my gosh. It's Change, not Changes. Changes is a Tesla, Black Sabbath, and David Bowie song. Why must you keep adding S's where they don't belong? And your partner Hollywood isn't much better because if you haven't noticed, he has dropped S's on several words earlier in this podcast. I thought you two idiots were professionals. Serenity now. Unbelievable. Back to our show. And I think those two hits were the whole reason why he disregards the babies completely. But it's a shame because really, he could probably get back in the babies and do pretty well. Then you would literally have three-fourths of the original band back. I don't think you're going to see Bad English come back together, and I don't think you're ever going to see Babies with John Waite. I think maybe John Waite might have a little bit of LSD. What do you think? Oh, yeah. There's no doubt. No <laughs> doubt at all. <laughs> So our next pick is probably the most surprising pick and not from that you picked it. It's that I do not know anything about these guys. I start doing a little bit of research and find out that Thunder released the greatest hits in 2019, that they have 12 studio albums, 29 live albums, and me and every other rock fan on the planet, in the U.S. anyway, can only probably name Dirty Love. And there's 28 songs on this thing with six live tracks on top of it. And I don't know any of these songs. I didn't realize you were such a big Thunder fan. So here's the deal. So most of America may be familiar with Backstreet Symphony. That was pretty much the only record that had any traction here in the U.S. Dirty Love, like you mentioned, is their biggest hit. And that record came out in 1990. Gee, what was happening in 1990? It sure wasn't melodic hard rock. Thunder, obviously, we got the opportunity to see them on Monsters of Rock. When I found out they were playing on Monsters of Rock, I kind of wanted to dig a little bit more into them because, honestly, I'm not a huge Thunder fan and didn't know that much about Thunder. So I started digging into them a little bit. I had Backstreet Symphony in an album called Laughing on Judgment Day. And the reason that I had both of those albums were because they were promos from the record distributor that I worked for at the time. So that's the only reason I knew Thunder. Okay. Last year, they sent me this greatest hits thing. And I'm like, holy crap, this greatest hits thing has a bunch of songs. So me, just like you, I started digging into them. Thunder is huge in the UK and have been for some time now. They're a UK band to begin with, but this band can still play arenas in the UK. Over here, they couldn't get arrested in a club, I don't think. Nobody knows who this band is. When we saw them on Monsters of Rock Cruise, I thought 
that they were one of the better bands on the cruise. They sounded fantastic. If you like holy water type bad company, then this is kind of your band. They have a mixture of hard rock and melodic music. Some of it is just kind of rock and roll. They have some slower stuff, some quieter stuff. But this greatest hits encompasses it all. And truthfully, I think if you get a chance to listen to this greatest hits, you would probably like it because I know you would like this singer. I mean, he's right in your wheelhouse for stuff you like. So it's a great greatest hits package to pick up. Yeah. And on the Monsters of Rock, I walked into when they played, I didn't know any of the songs. So I'm like, okay, well, that guy sounds good. Okay. Woohoo. Go Thunder. And then I went to go see a band I knew. Like that's kind of where I landed. I will check this out though, because they sounded good. I just didn't know any of the songs. Agree with you there, right? If you don't know the music, it's not as fun for anybody going to see a live band. That's one thing. Number two is at this point, they're older guys. So it's not like they're freaking jumping off drum risers. So, I mean, they're as exciting as say a honeymoon suite or somebody. They're just not that exciting live, but they sounded amazing. You could tell they were very well seasoned. I mean, they worked the stage and the crowd excellent, but you're not going to get an Alice Cooper show or people jumping off drum risers into the crowd like we did with Heat. You know, you're just going to get a solid night of rock and roll. And like I said, I think you're going to find a lot of stuff on this greatest hits that if you give it a little bit of time, you're going to end up liking it, I would think.
the next choice was mine. It was Queen's Greatest Hits 1992 U.S. edition. Why am I so specific on this? Because this band is international. This is one of those releases that has like 55 other versions over the year. Like it was originally released in 81. Then it got released in 92, got to number 11 on the charts. Got re-released in 2004, got to number 42. Then when the movie released, it was released again and got to number 11. So I have the one that's got the red cover with the Queen Crest design on it, and that's the 1992 version. It's got 17 songs on it. It's about an hour long. It has most of the hits you would want. We Will Rock You, Killer Queen, Fat Bottom Girls, You're My Best Friend, all the songs that you would definitely want to hear. A couple from the first albums that maybe you don't know that well went eight times platinum. I really don't own any other Queen except for this thing and a few songs I bought on iTunes. And that's about it. My guess is you own a lot more Queen than I do. Well, so here's the interesting thing about Queen. Originally, I was handed a three-disc radio sampler when I worked at the record distributor. A lot of the stuff I own goes back to those days because I got so much stuff during that period of time in my life. And each CD has somewhere around 12 or 13 songs on it. And to your point, it has pretty much all the stuff that any Queen fan would want. And that was good enough for me for a long time. But then as we start doing the podcast, uh, we did that Queen episode where we went and saw the movie and we had Brian Davis on and he shared some of his favorite songs and there were deeper tracks and we dug into some deeper tracks. I started discovering a lot of stuff that I like a lot that's further into their albums. So now I'm sort of picking up albums here and there as we go to uh, build my queen catalog, so to speak. Yeah, I just kind of did the iTunes thing with them, but it works. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some queen stuff that I can do without for sure, but I'm discovering that I'm enjoying listening to some of their albums in their entirety as they were meant to be presented. (laughs) Our next pick was from Stephen, and this was Stephen's last pick, and it was Billy Joel Greatest Hits Volume 1 and 2 from 1985. It's a two-disc set, and it's got Piano Man, The Stranger, Just The Way You Are, Big Shot, all the hits that you would think about between when he released Piano Man all the way through An Innocent Man, and then two new songs, one called your only human second win, which was a pretty good hit, got to number nine. And The Night is Still Young, which still got to number 34 in the Billboard 100, but most people probably can't recognize that one without hearing it. I have this release by Billy Joel, and I have the album An Innocent Man, and that's all I own by Billy Joel. The Innocent Man album, I wore that thing out. It's not a Desert Island album because there's one or two songs on there I don't care for, but because it had that Motown flavor And there was a homage to like the 50s and 60s. Uh, So it kind of had not rockabilly, but a little bit of that. And he was trying to do songs from kind of different generations. And I was just getting into that type of music when an innocent man hit. And then as he started releasing singles and the stuff started rolling on MTV, I'm like, man, I think I'm getting really interested in that one album. So I bought an innocent man. Loved most of that album and then went and bought this two-disc set. So it's definitely worth checking out. The problem is my favorite, An Innocent Man, only has three songs on this thing, but he's got so many good songs 
that, I mean, 26 songs spanning nine albums, that's not bad. And this thing sold over 20 million copies, so it's a diamond greatest hits release. You're a big Billy Joel fan? Yeah, so I got into Joel, if I can call him that. Yeah, he's a personal friend, but uh, (laughs) just kidding. I got into Billy Joel with Glass Houses when I was growing up. It's still rock and roll to me, right? That was a huge hit of my youth. I can remember calling the radio station requesting that one. So that's kind of where I got into Billy Joel. But there was a lot of Billy Joel that was just a little bit too mellow for me. So I own Glass Houses and I own this double CD set because it has all the cool shit, all the rock and stuff that I love. And it's just a great package. Billy Joel's one of those guys that if you experience him right now, and you like a few things, and you wanted to get everything, man, you better have a thick wallet because there is a lot of stuff out there. And he's a little bit all over the place. So just because you like one Billy Joel album doesn't mean you're going to like all of Billy Joel albums. That is fair to say. So my last pick is Sammy Hagar Unboxed from 1994. So I will tell you, There's 12 songs on this album. There's two new ones. And this is a Sammy Hagar greatest hits worth having. If you don't really know Hagar and you want to go give him a chance, this is the place to start because he's got a lot of compilations, (laughs) compilations, see I said it like you do, out there that are just plain not good. There's a bunch out there that have his stuff from 76 to 80. And I'm telling you, Hagar had not refined his sound yet. So you want to talk all over the place and some of it just kind of sounds empty and there's not enough music in it. And you would think it would have a Montrose feel. It doesn't at all. So some of those greatest his packages aren't that great. This one is outstanding. It covers from 81 to 87. And in that six, seven years, he had two gold albums and two platinum albums. And this thing went gold, got to number 51 on the Billboard 200 the two new songs, High Hopes and Buying My Way Into Heaven, are great songs. But, you know, it's got heavy metal, three lock box, two sides of love, I can't drive 55. It's definitely worth a listen if you don't already own it. I'm assuming you own this. I absolutely 100% concur with your assessment of this fantastic record. Yes, I do own Unboxed. I also own Standing Hampton because that album is killer for me. Uh, which is where I came into Sammy. So, uh, yeah, it's a great record. And to your point, those two new songs on this Unboxed are killer. Yeah, and I own everything Hagar. I'm a completist, so I've got it all because Hagar's one of my top 10 guys. So I got it all. I think I own, let me see, I own Stan in Hampton. Let me look at my library real quick. I own Standing Hampton, Unboxed. I own bits and pieces from Cosmic Universal Fashion, Three Lot Box, VOA, Marching to Mars. That was a good record. Red Voodoo, 1013. I actually own more than I thought I did.
It's time for your historic moment on Growing Up Rock. So there's a story that goes back that Hagar opened for Kiss in the mid-70s. Kiss was biggest band in the world at this point. And Hagar goes and opens for him and gets all kinds of stuff thrown at him. And, you know, it was I think it was in New York, and that really isn't Hagar's market to begin with. And he's hated Kiss pretty much ever since. So <laughs> he never opened for Kiss again, and, well, he didn't have to. So yeah! So for the Kisshistoric moment, we could have picked, I don't know, they got like 853 different greatest hits boxes. <laughs> and a lot of it has the same songs over and over and over. And when it doesn't have the same song, they'll do stupid shit like change strutter or have Eric Carr sing a Peter Chris song or, you know, so they've made some interesting choices with the greatest hit stuff, but we're going to talk about Killers. So Killers was released in 82 and technically I still don't think it's ever been officially released in the U.S. It was released overseas and it was their second greatest hits release. Their first one was double platinum. At this point, the band's going through a bunch of turmoil. Eric's been in the band two years. Ace is bounced. They're out there looking for somebody to replace Ace, depending on who you believe. Now there's conflicting stories, by the way, that Paul says Eddie never asked to be in the band. Gene says he went to lunch with Eddie and Vinny was there and Eddie asked Gene to be in the band and Gene told him go do his own thing. So who knows what's true. Four new songs on this release. I'm a legend tonight, Down on Your Knees, Nowhere to Run, Partners in Crime. And then there's eight that are older songs, Cold Gin, Love Gun. They did like a seven-inch mix of Shout It Out Loud, Sure No Something's on it. There's an edited version of Detroit Rock City. God of Thunder, I Was Made for Loving You is an edited version. And there's a live version of Rock and Roll Night. And I think what the intent was is before they went in and did Killers was to say, look, yes, we released The Elder Yes, that maybe you guys didn't like it. We are a rock and roll band. Here is a rock and roll collection for you. So this song that I want to play for you guys, which we've played on the podcast before, but it's been a while, is written by Paul Stanley, Michael Jatt, and the aforementioned Brian Adams. Here is Down on Your Knees.
also a song by Great White, Down on Your Knees. Yeah, that's not the same song. <laughs> the, <laughs> the album pick on this album is pretty cool. I like it, but people can't get past like Gene's short hair or Paul's like blue and purplish headband thing. They can't get past that. So, But uh, Eric and Ace look great on it. Yeah, I mean, this record's got some good stuff on there. Yeah, I don't pay no attention to the pictures anymore. <laughs> I, I probably would have back in the 80s, but now I, I could care less. So some of the material, this is something that I picked up way, way later in the catalog. But yeah, it's got some good stuff. So there you have it. There's a ton of greatest hits out there. I mean, some of the best ones I own, there's a Richard Cotson one out there called The Essential Richard Cotson, which is a two-disc CD set. Genesis, Turn It On Again, The Hits. It was the first thing I owned by Genesis. Uh, Rick Springfield's Greatest Hits. It was the first Rick Springfield thing I owned. Uh, so there's really some great things out there. It's just, reality is, I don't know if you need to find them anymore unless you're a Uber fan or you can't find some of Rod Stewart's older stuff on Spotify because of whatever contracts were written with his record companies that you have to go to a Greatest Hits to get some of that stuff. Or you just want to collect stuff. I mean, there's tons of greatest hits packages that I own from bands that I would never own every album. I mean, a perfect example is the Eagles. Another perfect example is Tom Petty's greatest hits. Tom Petty has a great greatest hits record out. So greatest hits, they're essential to bands where you just don't need to own all the albums. I mean, and that's a lot of bands for me. Tom Petty has greatest hits? He does. What's it, like two songs? You'd be surprised. (laughs) All right, so great little episode. Thanks, everybody, for all of the feedback and getting back to us about certain things and, uh, you know, the survey I sent out and some of you guys filled it out and there's a uh, episode happening soon with that survey I sent out. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, send me your email address and I'll get you hooked up on the next survey. I know we've gotten a lot of feedback from some people sending us emails and asking us to do tributes for Van Halen and Eddie Van Halen. Hang tight. There's something coming down the road. We're going to let the smoke clear a little bit, and we'll get into all that. Hey, just out of curiosity, I saw a stat today. Do you know how much Van Halen's catalog shot up the day that Eddie passed? No. Their catalog shot up 6,000% on the day that Eddie passed away. Crazy, right? I was getting texts you know, from friends of ours, friends of mine, People on Facebook sending me messages, hey, did you hear about Eddie, blah, blah, blah. And then one out of every four of those messages right afterwards would be a song that they were listening to at the time. And I'm just like, oh, my God, everybody on the planet right now is listening to Van Halen. Yeah, myself included. Every time I've gone, jumped in the car, I've either had it on XM where they're doing a tribute channel to Van Halen or I've had my uh, a phone playing something in the house, just picking an album and playing it. You know, we'll get more into that as time goes on. Until then, hey, it's been a good episode. I appreciate each and every one of you guys checking us out. Subscribe to our podcast. Keep the feedback coming and go like our Facebook page. See ya. Later. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.